0: Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to Comedy Central.
3: I'm talking about photo filters. Yes, they've helped mankind realize its dream of puking rainbows, but some of the most popular filters just help you look more attractive. Which may sound harmless, but it could be anything but. Cutting edge apps and social media filters are allowing ordinary people to enhance their online photos to impossible perfection. In some cases, it's sparking a concerning phenomena.
1: With apps like Facetune, you have the power to
0: completely transform yourself. Bigger eyes, skinnier nose, and jawline. Smaller butt or flatter belly, whiter teeth, smoother skin you can do it right on your phone.
2: When I take a selfie, I always use filters. I wish I could look like my filtered self in real life.
0: This obsession with personal appearance that selfie culture encourages may have darker implications for mental health. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association says filtered pictures can take a toll on self-esteem, body image, and even lead to body dysmorphic disorder. I do feel like we're losing touch with what reality looks like. We're already getting there to the point where we're expecting people to look as unhuman as possible.
3: Yeah, photo editing filters set unrealistic expectations for beauty. The same way Fruit Ninja sets up unrealistic expectations of how easy it is to slice floating fruit. (laughs) And once you have this filtered version of yourself in your head, you become dissatisfied with what you really look like. So in essence, we're basically catfishing ourselves. But if these editing apps can turn adults into quivering blobs of insecurity, just imagine what they're doing to kids.
1: Psychologists warn these photo filters can be particularly troubling for teens and young people who are still developing their sense of self.
0: 80% of girls in one survey say they compare the way they look to other people on social media.
1: On Instagram, like, I follow people like Kendall Jenner
2: and Kylie Jenner, they all have this, like, time measure, like, body image that everyone is expecting from this generation. Young girls on social media have a negative body perception with one in seven girls reporting being unhappy with the way they look at the end of elementary school
1: and that number almost doubling to nearly one in three by age 14. 80% of young girls are using photo retouching apps to change the way they look before posting pictures. And those with high scores for manipulating their photos were associated with high scores for
0: body-related and eating concerns. Any of you ever question your body because of what you see on social media?
3: Shame, man, this is a vicious cycle for teenagers. Social media makes them unhappy with how they look, so then they use filters, which perpetuate the unrealistic expectations for themselves and others. Plus, they're teenagers, so they're doing all of this while they're driving, which puts everyone at risk. And all the insecurity this creates is harmful for teenagers because I know it's hard to tune all of this out, but teens shouldn't be obsessing over this stuff. Like, I honestly wish I could sit all teenagers down and say, hey, don't worry about how you look. The planet's gonna die out before you're 30. It doesn't matter. Now, it's bad enough when people wish they had the perfect Instagram look in real life. What's worse is when they actually try to make it happen
1: more people look at doctored up images, the more likely they are to actually start seeking out cosmetic procedures at younger ages. These cosmetic procedures are becoming so popular with teens, plastic surgeons have coined a new syndrome for it, Snapchat dysmorphia. And the number of kids getting nip tucks may astound you. In 2017, nearly 230,000 teens had cosmetic procedures. Kids as young as 13 are getting them. Doctors seeing an influx of people of all ages
3: turning to plastic surgery to look more like their filter.
1: 62% of plastic surgeons reported their patients wanted to go under the knife because of dissatisfaction with their social media profile. 57% said their patients wanted to look better in selfies.
3: Absolutely. It's becoming more and more common where people will show me images on their Instagram or even something that posted on Facebook and go, this is really how I want to look.
1: Just last week I had a patient come in and ask me for more of an anime eye and She couldn't figure out why it's not possible.
3: Okay, man, this is really disturbing. 13-year-olds in particular should not be getting plastic surgery. I mean, when you're 13, your physical appearance is already naturally changing. That's what our faces are doing. It's like long-term plastic surgery. I mean, this is what I looked like when I was 13. You gotta let that shit play out. Honestly, though, I don't blame the teenagers. I blame the parents and the plastic surgeons. I mean, how are you gonna let them do this to themselves? They can't even buy cigarettes, but you're gonna let them buy a new face? Clearly, this is getting out of hand, which is why there's now a movement, not just against filters, but all the ways that people have been distorting reality on social media.
1: Many influencers have started speaking up on this issue, admitting that they've presented altered images in the past and are opening up the conversation. Some are even posting raw, totally unedited photos of themselves and breaking down how people on your Instagram feed may be manipulating their angles and lighting to get that quote unquote perfect selfie. There are many celebrities exposing the dangers of digital distortion. They are posting images of themselves unedited, unfiltered online. And this is a great example to young
0: girls. Pop star Lizzo made a big splash when she posted a selfie in the nude and unretouched. There's, there's no shame anymore. And I just kind of post myself. It's like, you take me as I am. You gonna have to love me. British MP Luke Evans
1: has proposed the digitally altered body image bill, which would require advertisers and publishers to display a logo whenever a person's face or body has been digitally enhanced.
3: Okay, first of all, I love the idea of putting disclaimers on photos of people who have been digitally altered. I love it. And honestly, I don't think we should stop there. We need to do this with everything that's been digitally altered, like food ads. Those are the worst. Every fast food burger looks great on TV. But then when I order it, it looks like it fell asleep in a hot tub. But I'm glad that we're finally learning the truth about what celebrities look like. You know, personally, I'm waiting for SpongeBob to join this movement. I mean, no way that guy is that square naturally. Have you seen that? It's like, it's not even... What do you mean, it's not real? Then how would he have a TV show? Now, I'm not naive enough to think that society is gonna stop creating unrealistic beauty standards anytime soon, all right? But what I do hope is that we can better educate our kids and ourselves that our own natural bodies are beautiful. I mean, except for that flap of old people's skin we have on our elbows. Like, that shit is gross. I don't care who you are. It looks like a mid-arm ball sack. But everything else is beautiful. But because this movement could take a while, we here at The Daily Show decided to come up with a filter of our own that might help.
1: Are social media filters giving you body image issues? Are you depressed you don't look as good as your filter? Then good news, you'll never have to worry about living up to your filter again with Rudify. It's a brand new filter that turns your face into Rudy Giuliani. You'll never be happier with how you look in real life. And obviously, this wouldn't be effective if you could turn it off. So, Rudify overrides all other filters. And just to be safe, Rudify retroactively applies itself to every face and every photo in your phone. The best part is the filter is permanent, just like Rudy himself. You can never get rid of it. <laughs> Rudify, you'll be overflowing with self-esteem. Warning, use of this filter by Rudy Giuliani will rupture the fabric of space and time.
3: My guest tonight is former Facebook product manager turned whistleblower, Frances Haugen. She's here to talk about how Facebook prioritizes profits over public safety and teen mental health. Frances Haugen, welcome to The Daily Show.
2: Thank you for inviting me, happy to be here.
3: Um, Your name isn't as big as the story that you really, I mean, leaked to the world. You know, a lot of people you say, Frances Haugen, they'll be like, who is that? But then if you say to people, hey, remember how we all learned that facebook and what social media is doing is essentially destroying teenagers brains and it's harming all of us yeah that report happened because of you so let's start with the question of why you've worked for um google you've worked for pinterest you've worked Mm -hmm. for yelp and yet you blew the whistle on facebook why Mm -hmm. did you feel like oh this this is something i can't sit on
2: so when i joined uh facebook i thought i was going to work on misinformation in the united states and I was surprised, and I, I actually was charged with working on information outside, only outside the United States. Okay. And um, like many people and many technologists, I had never really focused on Facebook's impact internationally, and very rapidly, um, I realized kind of the horrifying magnitude of the danger that we were facing, that Facebook's algorithms give the most reach to the most extreme and divisive ideas, mm-hmm. um, and that, that process is destabilizing some of the most fragile places in the world, like Ethiopia or what happened in
3: Myanmar. It, you see, when, 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 when you say that, mm. there are some people who will accept it immediately. Mm. And then there are some people who will be like, that's, that's not true at all. But I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who will say, mm. well, but I mean, aren't there always going to be extreme people in the mm. world? You know, aren't there, there's always somebody saying something. You know, Facebook themselves say, they go like, hey, we're not, we're not part yeah. of the problem. We're merely a platform that people put their views on. Mm-hmm. We are not part of the problem. And you disagree with that.
2: So let's imagine you had a relative who had particularly extreme ideas. You know, I, I mean, we often say like the crazy uncle. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm, some of us have those. Uh, that person, if, they're, if we're talking to them one-on-one or we're talking to them at a family gathering, that scale allows for resolution of ideas. Okay. What's happening on Facebook right now is ideas that are the most able to elicit a reaction and the shortest path to a click is anger, those get the most reach. And ideas that are more moderate or that try to bring us into synthesis or to, to, to help us find a middle path, those aren't as likely to elicit a comment from you or elicit a like. Right. And so Facebook doesn't give it as
3: much distribution. So Facebook is essentially propelling certain ideas out there. So they they may say we're the platform, but really what they're also doing is they're advocating for certain viewpoints because they push those out because those get people engaged and spinning in the cycle.
2: So I think it's a thing where it's not they sit sit out and go, how can we have more extreme ideas? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what they're trying to do. But they do know that there are lots of solutions that are not about censorship. It's not about picking good or bad ideas Mm -hmm. or good or bad people. It's about how do we change the dynamics of these systems so that you could have good speech counter- counter bad speech? How do we give those more of an equal right, say right, at the right. table?
3: You know, it's, it's interesting that you lay it out like this because I remember talking to my friends about this saying, have we become angrier in the world? Mm. Have we become less able to have misunderstandings? Because I, I sit with my friends and I go like, I don't agree on so many things with my friends, but I don't remember a time when that meant that I couldn't be friends with them. Yeah. In the world of social media right now, it feels like if I disagree with you on this, mm. I disagree with you on everything. Mm. It seems like Facebook goes, if you disagree on this, we're going to make or we're going to oh. find more ways to, 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 you know, to find where you disagree or, mm-hmm. or how to make you disagree.
2: Yeah, so some people have said this idea of like uh, Facebook's always looking for fault lines, right? So, so an, a high quality piece of content mm-hmm. is one that gets lots of engagement. And it turns out an angry comment thread where, you know, it causes us to yell at each other, that is viewed as a higher quality piece of content. And so, uh, you know, during um, COVID, I've had friends who wrote very long, thoughtful pieces that went and digested lots of information. That's going to cause less knee-jerk reaction than something that really offends you.
3: So masks don't work. People are clicking on that. (laughs) Here's the thing about masks we have to consider in our society. Boo. Facebook's not pushing that. So what's interesting, you know, in in everything Mm -hmm. that you've done is even though you're a whistleblower, even though you came up with this information, you've never said, I'm anti-Facebook. You've never said, mm-hmm. shut Facebook down. You've never said, this thing needs to go away. Yeah. What you're arguing for is, we change our relationship with not just Facebook, but social mm. media companies as a whole. Mm-hmm. A- explain what that means.
2: So often people talk about this idea of, we need to change our relationship with social media, it's more about, like, should we use our phones so much? but I'm, I, I'm encouraged to have a conversation about what's our relationship with companies or what's the company's relationships with us? Okay. Facebook knows that they have a level of, of um, unaccountability that's very different than either Google or Apple or other big platforms because in the case of Google, we can scrape, we can download their results and analyze them and see if there are biases. In the case okay. of Apple, we can take apart the phones and put up YouTube videos saying Apple phones do or don't work the way they claim. Huh. But in the case of Facebook, Researchers and activists have been telling Facebook, hey, we have found all these examples. We think there's a pattern here. We think there's too much human trafficking. We think kids are suffering. Right. And Facebook keeps coming back because they know no one can call them on it and saying, that's just anecdotal. That's not real.
3: But when you released the information, mm-hmm. we realized it wasn't anecdotal. It was real because Facebook had and done Facebook the research. Knew about it. Yeah. Right. You see, now this is interesting because yeah. this reminds me of the tobacco companies. Yes. It reminds yeah. us of yeah. the, you know, the, the fossil fuel yeah. companies. They do the research. They find out something really bad. And then, I mean, obviously they go like, we're not going to put this out there. But, yeah. but we know one of the biggest things that's really gotten people worried mm-hmm. is how social media affects younger brains. Mm-hmm. I mean, it affects my brain. I'm, I don't consider myself younger anymore. But young people are, are like, it seems like the highest, at the highest mm-hmm. risk.
2: Yeah, Facebook's internal research says that the highest rates of problematic use peak at age 14. So you're not allowed to be on the platform until you're 13. Uh-huh. So I guess it takes a little bit of time to form that habit. But, but the largest fraction of any of those age cohorts they sampled, and they've done studies that have 100,000 people in them. Okay. These are not tiny studies. Um, they find that the largest fraction say, I can't control my usage, and I know it's impacting my health, my employment, or my school, wow. is at age 14. And so there's a real thing where young people have both, you know, they're struggling with issues in their life. Yes. And they don't have the self-control yet. And they say this. They say this to researchers. They say, I I know this is making me feel bad and I can't stop. I fear I'll be ostracized if I leave. Mm -hmm. Um, And those factors mean it's not easy for kids just to walk away.
3: It's also not easy for people to understand how to to fix it. You have lawmakers now Mm. who are trying to figure this thing out. Silicon Valley is way ahead of them. Yep. Right, like way ahead of them. Lawmakers, you see these hearings, they'll be like, what if, what if my <laughs> Facebook is an Insta flap? They don't understand what's happening. So how do we begin creating a world where we're not destroying the companies, but mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're regulating them the way they should be?
2: So the main thing I'm advocating for is around transparency because one of the problems today is because Facebook is the only one that holds the cards, mm-hmm. like they can, see, they can see whether or not they're holding you know, a, a, a royal flush or not, right. what they claim. Um, we need to move to a world where we have more access to data and that can be aggregate data, it can be privacy sensitive data, it doesn't have to, you know, expose people. It's, not, it's a false choice of privacy versus transparency. Right. And once we have the ability to have conversations, we can stop talking about boogeyman social media.
3: I see. And we can
2: start having conversations on how do we solve these problems. I think what we, what we need to do, and this is what I'm going to spend 2022 doing, is we need to start organizing people. Like, I want to plant a youth-directed movement where we can begin putting pressure on Facebook to release this information. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Facebook is just going to do it automatically out of the goodness of its heart, we have to force them to. And I think there's lots and lots of opportunities where we can begin putting pressure on them, either socially or financially.
3: As a user of social media, as a person who speaks to all my friends on social media, I I have my enemies on social media, I appreciate this conversation because I think um, if we're not careful, we end up in a world where we're all fighting really just because an algorithm is trying to make us fight half of those fights. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, even even with the show, if I say a thing Mm -hmm. on the show... Mm. (laughs) <laughs> this has been like the most interesting thing for me is depending on what I say, Facebook sends Ooh. that to different people. One time we had it on the show that's where... That's a real thing. One, yeah, one time we had on the show where um, literally I'd laid out both arguments. I said, here's here's one way to see it. Yep. Here's another way to see it. But then on Facebook, only one way went yeah. to each group. Yeah. And I was, I was fascinated by that because mm-hmm. then people are like, why didn't you say the other way? I was like, but that's exactly what I said. They're like, oh, well, I didn't see that. And then you realize... No. You know?
2: So one of the things that happens is, um, so let's say you take a video clip. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have, out of any given one of your shows, people go and put on YouTube lots of different little chunks. Uh-huh. People can reseed those onto Facebook over and over again, and they right. do. Right. And each time that enters into Facebook, you know, someone posts it to a group, someone does this, it enters into the network in a different way, and the algorithm begins picking up data on that, and it says, oh, interesting, like these kinds of people engage these ah. kinds of stone, And so, and, and because it's entering from so many different points, it actually gets a chance to learn what kinds of people or communities it engages the most with. And so that echo chamber is real. Like the algorithm pulls us towards yes. homogeneity.
3: It's almost like Facebook knows that you react most to your neighbor when they play loud music. <laughs> there's no reaction from you when your neighbor's doing other things, but when your neighbor plays loud music, that's when you react. So then Facebook goes, I'm just gonna... It's
2: even worse than that, actually. How can it be worse? so, So let's imagine there's music that you like and there's music you don't like. Oh, wow! It actually knows you really don't like. I don't know reggaeton or something.
0: Oh, wow! And one thing that's I okay. think is really
2: sad is um, one of the things that was in the documents is that people talk about, um, especially people from marginalized communities, that they will go and, and correct people who are spreading, um, you know, racist, right, sexist, right, right. homophobic comments. And guess what now Facebook knows you engage with those keywords
3: so they send you more and so of So they that. send more. Yeah. Um... yeah, I I I didn't know they were doing that. They don't do
2: it on purpose. It's it's a it's a no, side effect. It's yeah, a yeah. side
3: effect it's of the pilot. way the algorithm yeah. works. Yeah. So the algorithm is designed to get as much engagement as possible and yeah. then engagement unfortunately means yeah. you're more likely there's a there's a car accident yeah. I'm going to engage. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or or more of um uh, if they had an option of showing you a stream of different things they know you got a car accident so they show you more of.
3: Man. Yeah. This is hard because on the one hand, I go like, well, I need to stop looking at car accidents, but the brain is the brain.
2: It's the brain. You know, if if all the um, AI is not intelligent, right? We like to say artificial intelligence. Yes. But but people who actually study it call it machine learning yes. because it's not intelligent. It's just a hill climber. It's optimizing. And, uh, you know, think of all the different pieces of content you get exposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It's not trying to show you most extreme content. It happens to be to a fulfill its goal function. It I mindlessly understand. pushes you towards it. And so this is about Facebook making choices to not fix it. That Facebook has lots and lots of options that don't deal They're with They're letting content. the machine run wild. They're letting the machine run wild.
3: Money. Money. That's what it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for being no, here. This pleasure. has really been enlightening. Good luck on the rest of your journey. Thank you so much. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on
1: Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.
0: 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute.